AOA is brought to you by Synex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Again, thanks for letting us be part of your day. It's a busy show today. Going to cover a lot of ground. Arlen Suderman with StoneX will join us to talk the economy and markets. Jaime Castaneda with the U.S. Dairy Export Council joins us to talk about the uh, short and long-term impact of the uh, backup on West Coast ports. We'll be talking about that. We are going to get a breakdown of sales to China from the U.S.-China Business Council. They have a new report out breaking that down. And we're going to talk about Growth Energy's lawsuit suing EPA over not getting the RVO levels announced. So we've got a lot to talk about, but we're going to start it off with a Washington update, what's going on with the infrastructure bill and the Build Back Better bill. Uh, Jarrett Renshaw with Reuters joins us now. Jarrett, thanks for joining us. It sounds like, despite this week's election results, and some concerns by moderate Democrats over not even having CBO scoring that uh, the leadership plans to go ahead and push for a vote in the House on these bills. Is that right? Yes, I mean, that's what it seems like right now, Mike. Uh, what we had was, you know, there was an expectation that the House and the Senate would be pre-negotiating all the terms of this, but it seems like the House is just going to move forward despite some of the protests from uh, Manchin and maybe others on some of the elements of the bill. Um, and ultimately, I think it just slows it down. Like, I think we get the, um, the smaller infrastructure bill um, and then kind of TBD on the, uh, the larger reconciliation bill to build back better. Um, specifically in terms of timing, I think we'll get something, but um, I don't think it's anytime soon. But are the two still going to be connected? I mean, the, the progressives in the House have said they have to be together, not one, not, not separated. Is that still the case? So they've shifted a little bit. I mean, the House is going to pass the bills together. Um, that's a shift from previously that they, they, their, their, their position was that they were not going to pass anything in the House on the reconciliation bill and, or either bill until the reconciliation bill passed the Senate. They have now moved from that position. Um, and uh, it seems like they're going to pass a bill from the House that is much larger and expansive than what will get done, as we can tell right now, that will get moved in the Senate. So it will get whittled down in the Senate, and then it'll go back to the House again for final approval. Um, so then you got to get a, a CBO score between now and then. So you can see how this, this process could take some time. Um, I do think we'll get the, you know, the, the, the bipartisan bill done here uh, in, in short order, it seems like. Yeah, I, I heard comments from Senator Manchin yesterday, and he he sure doesn't seem to have moved. Uh, uh, he seems very concerned about a lot of things he thinks is going to be in this House bill, a lot of things, uh, and they've been adding things back into the House bill, right? And it doesn't yeah, yeah. sound like yeah, he yeah. it doesn't doesn't sound like he's ready to to move on this at all. He has a lot of reservations. For sure, Mike, and I think it, 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 that's one of the things that's been puzzling to me. It's like. You know, Manchin has been pretty consistent throughout this whole process, right? I mean, you may not like his politics or whatever, but he's been consistent. Um, mm -hmm. He's told you essentially what he's like, what he's not. They don't have the majority to ig ignore him. So it kind of befuddles me about why you're putting all these things in a House bill that you know are doomed for the Senate. Um, it, it seems to me, I understand the politics of it, I guess internal party politics of it, um, but in terms of getting the getting the bill done and getting it through, it seems to kind of a, a fool's errand in this moment. Um, so we'll have to see. Yeah. After the results of the elections this week, uh, there were some that thought, well, maybe they'd pull back. Moderate Democrats might be concerned if they're running for re-election uh, next year. But instead of uh, cutting this back any, uh, the bill's going to have more in it. They've, they started putting more back in it, right? For sure, Mike. And then you got to imagine, like, you know, uh, think about uh, moderate Demo Democrats in Iowa has come to mind who, who are now not only going to take one vote, they may take a series of votes on the, on this measure. Um, and, and you know, the election results did indicate that there's maybe not an appetite. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe there's not an appetite for this type of spending. Um, so 
you got to you do got to question the wisdom uh, of all this, and this is why we have elections, and we'll see whether this is the right path forward. But it, it certainly, on its face now, given the election results, it does seem like the calculus may have changed a little bit. We'll see what happens. All right, Jarrett, thanks for the update. Always appreciate it. Good to talk to you. All right, Mike. Take it easy. Jarrett Renshaw with Reuters, the latest on uh, what's happening in Washington with the uh, both the infrastructure bill and the um, so-called Build Back Better bill as well. Looks like the House uh, is determined to push through with a vote uh, here coming up either today or tonight or perhaps tomorrow. We'll see, even with the uh, reservations from Senator Manchin and others. Uh, on that Senate side. So this has, a, this has a ways to play out for sure. All right, something else we're watching. Growth Energy has filed a suit against EPA over the lack of getting these RVO levels uh, announced. We're joined now by Chris Bliley, uh, Senior Vice President, Regulatory Affairs for Growth Energy. Chris, thank you for joining us. Tell us about your suit. Uh, good morning, and good to talk to you, Mike. Uh, so we've actually filed a notice of intent to sue Okay. on the 2022 RVO and, and the RFS set. As you know, and probably most of your audience knows, these are required to be out by the end of November, and we have yet to see a proposal. And so, you know, we don't want to get in a situation where we're looking backwards at volumes for the RFS. So the intent of the program was really to drive investment and drive certainty in higher biofuel blends and low-cost biofuels. Yeah, far from certainty, you have uncertainty because we're not just talking about the levels for next year. Still need the levels for this year, right? That's exactly right. I, we, you know, we're in a situation where we're, we'll be setting volumes, basically looking backwards, and instead of driving investment and moving towards higher biofuel blends, it's the exact opposite. We're basically looking at a snapshot of what what is likely occurred this year, and additionally, everybody throughout the fuel chain is left wondering what they're supposed to do or, or how we're supposed to invest as biofuel producers and farmers. And so we're doing this now to jumpstart the process and really to force EPA to get these RVOs out as soon as they can. What are you hearing from EPA on this? Well, I, I think that's the thing that's a bit frustrating is, you know, we have a new administration, we have a new EPA administrator who've, who've committed to getting the RFS back on track, and certainly we're hopeful that they do that, and I think we've seen positive signals, particularly on small refinery exemptions, but really this is the first big test, is you need to get these RVOs out, they need to be strong, and really to drive investment in low-cost biofuels and higher biofuel blends. And so we're left waiting to see these, this RVO proposal. And, you know, we've just gotten to a point where, you know, we need the certainty and we, we really felt like we had to do something to jumpstart the process and really put the, the uh, onus back on EPA to get this thing done. All right, Chris, we'll be watching, see what happens if we can get that information. You have to go to court and sue to get what they were required to do. Uh, uh, I know that's frustrating, but thanks for the update, Chris. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Chris Bliley with Growth Energy. Up next, a report out showing our sales to China, where that business is coming from. Doug Berry with the U.S.-China Business Council, next on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Let's Talk isn't just an invitation, it's how we do business. Our experts at FS AgriFinance believe that a meaningful conversation is the best way to help our customers reach their financial goals. We'll show you how to use financing as a risk management tool to help spread your costs and manage your cash flow. We know agriculture and are focused on what's ahead to make sure you're ready for it. Talk with your FS AgriFinance specialist at your local FS member company today. FS, bringing you what's next. So you're saying I could save some money now by bundling my crop protection products? But I'd miss out on the 5 to 15 bushels per acre advantage from Acuron herbicide? Mm-hmm. And the 4 bushel advantage Saltro seed treatment has over Olivo seed treatment? Yeah. And the 18 and a half bushels per acre advantage from Trivapro fungicide? Yep. So the bundle deal isn't really all that much of a deal, is it? Nope. Better yield is the better deal. Talk to your retailer or Syngenta rep to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Acuron is a restricted-use pesticide. 
recently on Adams on Agriculture. So there is a bipartisan bill that would create a contract library for the beef industry. Joined now by Tanner Beamer, NCBA's Director of Government Affairs and Market Policy. Tell us about how it would work and how would it benefit beef producers? So this library, uh, if the bill were to be passed and enacted into law, it would tee up a library that would be maintained by the United States Department of Agriculture under the Agricultural Marketing Service. It would warehouse all the contracts that are offered by packers to producers for the purchase of fed cattle. And of course, that would be subject to USDA's rules of confidentiality, and it would presumably be aggregated similar to some of these other reports under livestock mandatory reporting. But theoretically, what it would allow producers to do is compare their marketing arrangements to those of other producers, possibly in their area. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. We spend a lot of time talking about uh, analyzing, uh, trying to figure out uh, China's purchases of our of our products, especially our ag products, and uh, what's the reason they're making their purchases? Are they on pace with the Phase One trade deal commitments or not? Are they going to get there? How close are they going to get? Uh, obviously, it's important. It's market moving uh, for our ag markets, and it's key uh, when we uh, look at the ag economy. So, just where are we, and where? Uh, where is China in these purchases? And we have a, uh, our next guest is going to be able to kind of break this down a little bit more for us. We welcome Doug Barry uh, with the U.S. China Business Council. Doug, thanks for joining us. Mike, it's a real pleasure. How are you today? Very good. You have a, a new report out that kind of breaks this all down, uh, our trade with China. Kind of give us an overview of this. Sure. Well, uh, most of your listeners, I'm sure, remember, <clears throat> excuse me, the 2018-2019 when, uh, you know, it was a, a couple of bad years for the ag community. Uh, and in part, uh, it was because uh, China stopped buying our wheat and, uh, uh, and sorghum and corn and beef and pork. Uh, so then came the phase one agreement uh, in early uh, 19, sorry, in 2020, and uh, that took the uh, tariffs, the very high tariffs off of the U.S. products coming into China, and then uh, the exports uh, resumed uh, their growth. So last year, uh, we had uh, an 18% increase overall. Uh, U.S. goods exports, including agricultural products to China, uh, and that amounted to about $18.5 billion flowing into the country and the country's businesses. So that's the good news. Uh, the not-so-good news is the agreement that made that possible is running out and will end at the end of this year, and there is nothing yet to replace it. And that could mean that the tariffs uh, come back on and then we would be back to where we were in 2018, 2019. We don't want that to happen. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of uh, speculation about, did these sales occur because China 
was trying to meet uh, those uh, commitments or live up to those levels, or they just needed uh, the products, uh, the goods, the commodities, so that they were going to buy them anyway. What are your thoughts on that? Good question. I think it's a combination of the two uh, with the um, meeting the commitments that they made under this agreement being probably more important than demand from China itself. Uh, China does have other choices for markets. Uh, it, it's Brazil uh, and and other and Russia. Uh, these countries produce some of the same things <clears throat> that we do. And uh, China is more than happy, as it did in 2018, 2019, to increase purchases from there, as well as Australia. Australia, of course, uh, now has a serious row with the Chinese, and the Chinese have punished Australia by cutting off uh, its uh, sales of certain commodities, uh, including wine and other products. And so at the same time, though, demand in China continues. 1.4 billion people, uh, they have an enormous appetite. Plus, they have this great demand uh, for pork and food for the pork. Uh, Their pork production has had serious setbacks the last couple of years because of disease. Uh, and they've had, you know, they've been affected by climate change. So they've had a lot of flooding in some of their agricultural areas. And that means they they will continue to be dependent to a certain extent uh, on U.S. and other markets for imported food. The question then is, if the tariffs come back, uh, that means that Brazil will be more competitive. Australia will be more competitive. Russia, other places uh, in, in northern Europe and uh, will the U.S. Uh, suffer as a result of that? We hope not, because we've been busy, as has your industry associations, in trying to convince the administration and the Congress that these tariffs need to be taken off. Uh, they're not doing us any good. Uh, they're not providing the leverage we thought they would. And they're really a tax on the American public. And they're a very serious problem for the agricultural industry. It's been kind of ironic. I mean, the the Biden administration has done just about everything they could to be opposite of the Trump administration, tried to over uh, almost from day one, started overturning uh, Trump policies. But yet these tariffs are one area they kind of left alone. Yes, uh, that's true. And they they insist uh, that they need the so-called leverage over the Chinese to extract concessions from them in terms of further uh, market market opening and fair treatment of U.S. businesses who are in China for the China consumer. So uh, what we're saying to them is that there are other ways to resolve the trade disputes and that the tariffs are really more of a tax on U.S. consumers and U.S. companies and they're not providing the leverage required. So the, the good uh, part of this is that Um, U.S. diplomats and Chinese diplomats have started meeting again after nine months of almost no conversation at all. And there is a summit meeting. It will be virtual between the two presidents, President Xi of China and President Biden. And that will probably happen uh, later this month. And the hope is, is that they'll be able to come to some agreement, uh, particularly on the trade disputes. and, And maybe we'll see those tariffs begin to be rolled back. Uh, Maybe there'll be a continuation of the exemptions, meaning uh, these are certain product areas that will uh, not have tariffs because we've agreed that they shouldn't have. Uh, But the problem with the ag industry is that while the Midwest states have benefited from phase one agreement, there are other parts of the state, particularly in fruit, uh, cherries, apples, other kinds of fruit that had, you know, millions, if not billions of dollars of sales to China in the past, those sales have plummeted because the exemptions do not apply uh, to those kinds of fruits that are made in other parts of the country. Uh, Washington state, for example, is a big exporter of apples and cherries to China, and those sales have, have plummeted uh, to almost nothing now because as I spoke with one of the farmers the other day in Washington, and he said the uh, cost of his cherries at the retail level in China have increased 65%. They get no exemption from the tariffs. The tariffs are 25% plus other taxes. So the phase one agreement has not benefited all agriculture producers equally in the United States, and we would like to see that change. 
We're talking with Doug Berry with the U.S.-China Business Council. And, Doug, as we know all too well, certainly in agriculture, um, differences between the U.S. and China over other things, big issues, whether it be Taiwan or whatever it may be, uh, often are wind up coming back and impacting greatly ag trade. It seems like uh, even if it's not an ag dispute, ag is the area that gets uh, uh, used in, uh, you know, uh, we think punished in many cases for the differences that are going on. And that's, you always have to keep that in mind looking forward. That's right. And that's a good observation because there are so many disagreements we have with China now, the most serious of which perhaps is Taiwan. And that that is uh, really scary uh, considering uh, it could lead to, um, you know, a, a very serious situation, perhaps a, a shooting situation in that part of the world, which we don't want to see. Uh, what we're trying to argue is that the commercial side of things should be treated separately. Uh, and, the, and the reason for doing so is because it's in everyone's best interest. The Chinese benefit from the, the trade with the United States. We benefit from, from trade with China. And it, it produces about supports about almost a million jobs in the United States. This, for, this was 2019. There were a million U.S. jobs supported by trade with China. So we don't want to see that impacted. We don't want to see uh, the, the ag industry have to look for alternative markets because China is not, no longer available to us. Uh, there aren't any. Uh, we're not going to make up those sales by selling more to Japan, for example, or more to Canada or Mexico. We need the China market and we need access to it. And we think that we can use that um, one area in which we can cooperate uh, to try to deal with the thornier problems in the in the uh, relationship that involve Taiwan, um, the South China Sea, uh, Uyghurs and human rights and all of the other things that we profoundly disagree with. A lot at stake here, that's for sure. Doug, good to have you with us. So we look forward to talking to you again. My pleasure, Mike. All the best. All right. Take care. Doug Berry, Communications Director for the U.S.-China Business Council. All right. Up next, we talk with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. We talk commodity markets. We talk overall economy, some of the factors uh, that we need to keep an eye on, what's driving uh, the markets, what's behind the, the headlines, uh, behind the scenes that we need to be aware of. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment, and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, every seed's got to earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And it's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return, and success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. Ethanol production levels remain strong just below the all-time record, but traders have been trading that for the past two weeks. Corn prices have also been helped by wheat, but that was lacking yesterday. On the Board of Trade this morning, December corn trading two cents higher at 566, the March contract trading two cents higher at 574 and a fraction of a cent. For soybeans, the January contract trading eight and a half cent lower at 1235 and a half cent 
percent. The March contract down eight and a fraction at 12.47. For wheat, Chicago wheat December trading eight and a fraction higher at 7.89 and a fraction. Kansas City wheat December up six and three quarters at 7.97 and a half cent. Minneapolis spring wheat December up four and three quarters at 10.48 and three quarters. The March contract a nickel higher at 10.32. In cash cattle country, it's slow to start this morning, but Packer inquiry should improve over the next several hours. Asking prices are around $130 in the south and $205 in the north. While buyers and sellers were locked in in a standoff yesterday, a light scatter trade has been reported here and there. So far this week, Southern Live Trade has been marked at $126 to $128, steady to $2 higher than the bulk of last week's business. Northern Dress deals have been limited, but at mostly $202, $2 higher than last week's weighted averages. Beef cutouts are expected to be higher with light to moderate box movement. December live cattle trading a dime lower at 131.55, February up 7 at 136.72. In feeder cattle, January 20 cents higher at 159.42, the March contract 27 cents higher at 160.42. In lean hogs, the December contract $1.77 higher at 77.72, the February contract $1.72 higher at 80.27. You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rawl. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Synex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. On AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, always enjoy our conversations with Arlen Suderman with Stone X. Arlen, good to talk with you again. We just, uh, I just talked in the last segment with uh, the U.S.-China Business Council, and they are obviously concerned about what happens as uh, Phase 1 uh, trade deal uh, phases out. And, uh, you know, we talk so much about are the, is China going to meet those levels? Well, what happens when there aren't any levels for them to have to meet or supposedly have to meet where do we go from here what are the signals and that you're picking up on what are you hearing out of china about uh, their plans moving forward as far as uh, purchases of our ag products arlen are you there well maybe we'll have to reconnect with arlen evidently we have some phone problems thought we had arlen but uh We'll try again. So we hope to talk with Arlen Suderman here in just a moment. Coming up in the next segment, by the way, real quick, I want to tell you that we're going to talk with Jaime Castaneda. He is the executive vice president of the U.S. Dairy Export Council. We talk a lot about uh, the problems with the backup out on the West Coast ports. Well, that's not only a a short-term concern, that becomes a long-term concern as you lose credibility uh, with your customers and do they look elsewhere and things like that. So a lot of uh, concerns there that we'll be talking about with Jaime Castaneda coming up in our next segment. All right, I think we've reestablished with Arlen. Are you there, Arlen? I am, uh, (laughs) and... uh, I think you were asking me about China and yes, uh, yes. what I see in the way of trade. I could hear you. You could not hear me um, at the time. So uh, it, I've never been convinced that China was buying because of the trade agreement. I think they were buying because they needed 
to buy grain. They needed it, and that's what China has always done. If they were truly serious about the Phase 1 trade deal, they would have abided by some of the most significant portions of it, which required transparency in their tariffs, their import tariffs. And if anything, they went less transparent there. Uh, but that aside, what do we see happening based on our contacts inside of China? And what I see happening is a little bit concerning. Uh, because of the poor feeding margins they have for hogs right now, um, we're seeing decreased demand for feed grain. We're seeing decreased demand uh, for soybeans, soy meal. Uh, we're seeing very cheap soy meal prices right now. We're seeing slow crush rates of 1.7, 1.8 million metric tons per week. We ought to be closer to 2.1 or 2.2 million metric tons per week. So we're lagging the demand that we need. Uh, on the corn side, we fed a lot of wheat during the summertime. Those price relationships have improved as corn prices have come down with the new harvest, so they're not feeding as much wheat now, not feeding much at all except for maybe in some northern areas where they have some quality concerns about the corn because of the wet fall harvest. Um, but they've displaced a lot of that need. When I last talked to them, they said they would probably buy some corn when prices fell below $5, and I said that's probably not going to happen anytime soon uh, because of concerns over high input costs. So I do think that we're going to see a pullback, still pretty good exports uh, or imports of corn into China, around 20 to 22 million metric tons, but that's below where we were this last year, and I think a year from now we're going to see that go up again. And on soybeans, I think USDA may be 50 to 100 million, maybe even as much as 150 million bushels too high on their export target because of the soft demand for China. The one thing that could change this is if Chinese buyers started to feel that high input costs were going to challenge global production this next year, tightening up supplies, then I could see them escalating purchases just to stock up. But otherwise, I think they would rather see ocean freight rates continue to come down and improve the, uh, the, the cost offerings and uh, slow their purchases in the near term. Of course, the other big factor is what happened, what do they do with Taiwan? And if they make a move, what does the United States do in response? And we know you feel good if you got a trade deal, but uh, an agreement, but that could go out the window when something like that occurs. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I don't know what the Biden administration's response would be if they were to make their move on Taiwan, which Xi Jinping has essentially guaranteed that Taiwan will come under China once again. Um, and we assume that'll be during his term in office, so sometime over the next four years probably. Um, I don't know what the Biden administration's response would be, but I can look at how would they look at it. They look, they're a student of history. They're looking at things. They look at uh, what Democratic administrations have done in the past in response to military actions. Um, they, they study what happened in Afghanistan. Um, they interpret that as America doesn't have a stomach for military conflict, um, and so therefore probably would not, because China doesn't, they don't want a military conflict. That would defeat many of their goals that they have. So they want to see if they can get Taiwan without a military conflict. And so the bet would be that we don't have the stomach for a military conflict to support and defend Taiwan. So therefore, what would we do? Well, the default measure in the past has been a trade embargo. And, of course, that would hit agriculture hard. And from a political standpoint, uh, the, the polls have shown that agriculture hasn't been supporting the Biden administration very strongly at all anyway, so there wouldn't be much to lose there. So that's kind of the logic that they would probably be seeing and the risks that we have to guard against as a possible black swan event would be a loss of trade with China. Talking with Arlen Suderman with StoneX. So, Let's look at the markets right now, up, down. Uh, what What's the driving force right now, or is that changing day to day? Well, it does change day to day, but I would say overall, if we look at the past month, there have been three driving factors. 
One is commodity inflation. Um, the Federal Reserve met yesterday, and I don't see anything that they did that would change that focus on commodity inflation longer term. It's not going to be every day or every week, but overall. Um, the second is going to be high energy costs, which are anticipated to continue to overall trend higher, even though we've seen some weakness here over the last week or 10 days, a trend higher, which puts more emphasis on the renewable fuel feedstocks, which would be the edible oils. Um, and number three would be high input costs for producing crops, uh, which risks lower production, especially for corn in the year ahead on a global basis. It's going to vary by country to country what the implications are in the regions within the country, like here within the United States, one part of the Midwest to another. Um, but those are the three driving things. Near term, I think the focus is on Tuesday's WASD report and you expectations that USDA will increase the size of the corn and soybean crops modestly. A little bit of nervousness that perhaps there might be a surprise where USDA might increase it more than what is expected. So a little bit of protection and caution in the corn and soybean markets as we approach those reports. Yeah, These ethanol plants have been pretty aggressive lately in, in buying corn, haven't they? They really have been, and we've seen some good margins for producing ethanol. That's been very supportive, and I think one of the positives to keep in mind is, I, is China has until November 12th to file the papers to extend the anti-dumping duties on distillers' grains. They have not done so, and the word inside of China is that they probably will not, and there's a lot of pent-up demand for distillers' grains inside of China that is expected to result in increased imports of it, so that would be one of the positive things for the ethanol industry and for U.S. agriculture. If that unfolds, we should know a lot more here over the coming week. What are you expecting in next week's report? What will you be focused on? We're expecting the corn crop to go up by another bushel or so and maybe another half or a little bit more of a bushel of soybeans. I think the trade is anticipating that and has that already penciled in, so to speak. It fears maybe something bigger than that. Uh, I think that we'll see a little bit of a cutback in exports uh, for soybeans, certainly, and possibly for corn as well, although USDA might offset that with a little bit of an increase in feed usage on the corn side. Um, but other than that, I think the focus is, is primarily going to be on the crop size with uh, other just tweaking other things in a report, no big major adjustments otherwise. And what do you, uh, real quick, uh, what do you see with this uh, situation on inputs, not only price but availability? How big an issue do you see that moving into next spring? I think the biggest concern is availability. Uh, prices right now have probably more upside risk than they do downside. Um, right now, the current price situation suggests that we lose corn acres in the periphery of the Midwest, but the core of the Midwest probably not so much. Um, so I'm at 91 million acres of corn, 89 million acres of soybeans. That could obviously change if we continue to see the problems escalate. Okay. Always good to talk with you, Arlen. Thanks a lot, and we'll talk uh, after that report next week. Thank you. Thank you. Look forward to it. All right. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. All right. So we've still got this big backup, West Coast ports. We know that's causing all kinds of supply chain issues. Also causes uh, issues with us being able to get products to our our customers around the world. So that's this brings up short-term and long-term issues. We're going to talk about that with Jaime Castaneda. He is the Executive Vice President of the U.S. Dairy Export Council. We'll talk about this situation and what uh, they're most concerned about. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and, if left untreated, can lead to death. 
Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment, and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, every seed's got to earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And it's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return, and success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, there's a new report out funded by the United Soybean Board. It was conducted by the Benton Institute for Broadband and Society, and it shows that providing U.S. farmers and ranchers access to fast, affordable, and reliable broadband will increase sustainability, will also allow more reliable and efficient food production. Here to talk about it is Megan Kaiser, treasurer of the United Soybean Board. The study really does a great job of highlighting, you know, some solutions that we can look at and make decisions from moving forward, especially as U.S. Soy is really looking at how do we prove our sustainability factor? How do we get that message to our customers worldwide? A lot of that hinges on precision agriculture. We look at precision application of fertilizer reduces our greenhouse gas emissions by greater than 15%. But we can only do that if we have the connection to the internet to utilize all of these precision tools. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Egg retailers, co-ops, and custom applicators have enormous productivity requirements. With thousands of acres of fertilizer to apply in a short window of time, they don't have time to make mistakes in the field. Intelligent Ag's Recon SpreadSense is the first ag technology that monitors the flow of product on floaters. The technology identifies flow issues to avoid streaks in the field that can hurt yield potential. Reduce the risk of misapplication by investing in Recon SpreadSense. Never doubt what you're putting out. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. This West Coast port backup that's been going on for some time and looks like it'll go on for quite a while longer, uh, not only impacts what comes into the country, but what we ship out as well. We're going to talk about that now with Jaime Castaneda, Executive Vice President, U.S. Dairy Export Council. Jaime, good to talk with you again. Um, what are your concerns yeah. short-term and long-term as coming out of this uh, backup on the ports? Well, short. Well, first of all, uh, morning, uh, and thanks for the opportunity. Uh, short term, it's the uh, the missed uh, opportunity that we have to actually export even more. Uh, that uh, obviously reflects on on dairy farmers' prices and and the opportunity for manufacturers to actually produce more and use more milk. That's the the short term. Because even though we're breaking records on the export side. Let me tell you, it is not without a significant cost uh, to everybody because the margins are small and we have to actually uh, uh, take those margins. So, so there, there is a certain amount of time that you can export without making any money, uh, but it's not going to be permanent. On the long term, it's that you lose uh, uh, I mean, customers. Uh, and that's, that's the worst thing that you can ha- happen to you. I mean, that you cannot be reliable to those customers and this is actually hard fought uh, customers that um, I mean companies have developed over the years and working with farmers so so, so it is extremely important that uh, this whole entire supply chain and, and, and the whole issue of ports uh, get uh, in some form resolved if not improved yeah a big part of trade is I always think of two R's, uh, relationship and reliability. And if you if you don't have those, you run the risk of losing business, don't you? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you, you, you said it so well. If uh, you build those customers, you take it away from the competition, you begin, uh, and, and we have heard it. We have heard is that, First of all, um, those customers are passing uh, additional costs. If you promise a product to be in Indonesia at a specific uh, time, and then you don't deliver for another month, and that customer has to buy on the spot at a much higher price, they're going to say, if you want to continue to do business with me, you're going to have to pay for that extra cost. And that, that can, we, we cannot do business like that. We're talking with Jaime Castaneda, U.S. Dairy Export Council Executive Vice President. So, do you see any signs that uh, we're about to break through this? I mean, it sounds like it could go on quite a while yet. Well, the U.S. Dairy Export Council uh, have been engaged on this issue since early this year when we heard from our members that uh, with an increasing uh, number of problems. So, Early in January, February, we, we immediately began and uh, formed a working group uh, of our members and experts. Because obviously, you can imagine, uh, none of us uh, do uh, ports and supply chain uh, every day. Uh, but there are uh, folks in our industry that that's what they do every single um, day uh, operational. So we, we engaged this, we formed a working group early this year, and through that working group and through our grassroots efforts, uh, we have seen changes. Uh, I, I understand that uh, a lot has been focused on the import side, but trust me, uh, we have a legislation, we have talked to the White House, we have talked to the Department of Transportation, and we have talked to, to the Department of Agriculture, and a lot of the things that you have uh, seen is because of our actions. So we have seen uh, movement, but that, to me, that movement uh, is, is still very small compared to what we need mm-hmm. to do. So we've heard from, I believe, the governor of Florida saying, use our ports. We're open. Is, is that is that a viable option? I mean, that's quite a change in routing and distance there. To, but is, is that a viable option? 
Well, it may be a viable option for some, but just think about it. Uh, we have a large production of uh, milk powders out of the West Coast, mm. uh, whether it's California or Washington State, Idaho, and Nevada. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> we're not going to have uh, containers full of milk powders going from uh, California all the way to Florida to be exported to go through the canal, uh, Panama Canal, uh, to actually get to Asia. Uh, so, so it, it is not a viable option for everybody. We we need to actually resolve the issues of of the, the West Coast. And all this, while <laughs> very frustrating, Jaime. I mean, the the demand. We often think about let's build demand. That's always something you're working on. But here's the case: you got the demand, you just can't get the product to them. Absolutely. You know, you remember you and I are go way back and and. When I was brought 20, almost 23 years ago into the industry to actually uh, change this, to, to make, uh, you know, uh, exports as part of our industry and uh, not be so concerned about imports. I, when I joined, uh, you know, almost 23 years ago, you remember dairy farmers were apprehend, apprehensive mm-hmm. about trade. And it was actually a lot of focus about, about um about imports uh, and and at the end what happened is that we were told by uh, administrations uh, after administrations we were told by the congress by everybody uh, focus on exports build trade and look at how much we have accomplished but now if we cannot export then it's a problem yep that is frustrating Jaime thank you so much good to talk with you again take care Take care, Mike. Bye. All right. Bye. Jaime Castaneda, Executive Vice President, U.S. Dairy Export Council. That wraps it up for today. Mike Pearson will be with you tomorrow. Hope you'll join him, and I'll be back with you on Monday. Thanks for joining us on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. This Movember, here's to mustaches in all their glory. To the first peach fuzz ones, the lopsided ones, the unexpectedly sexy ones, to the black, brown, and red ones, to the stately salt and pepper ones, to the ones grown by the men we love, the ones grown for the men we love, those with us today and those never forgotten. A mustache in Movember is a powerful thing. It helps raise funds and awareness for men's mental health and suicide prevention, prostate cancer, and testicular cancer. So rally a crew, friends, family, co-workers, and take on Movember together. And there are plenty of ways to get involved in Movember, even if you can't grow a mustache. Help us change the face of men's health. Go to Movember.com and let's get this hairy party started. That's Movember with an M as in mustache.com. Movember is a registered 501c3 organization.